The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Rejoice in times of birth, rejoice in times of death, 
Rejoice in times of planting. Rejoice in times of plucking what is planted. Rejoice in times of killing. That's a little weird and creepy, but in a sense, even when wars are going on and killing is happening, if we know God's sovereign hand in our lives, there's a peace even in the midst of those times. Rejoice in times of healing. Rejoice in times of breaking down. Rejoice in times of building up. Rejoice in times of weeping. Rejoice in times of laughing. Rejoice in times of mourning. Rejoice in times of dancing. Rejoice in times of casting away stones. Rejoice in times of gathering stones. Rejoice in times of embracing. Rejoice in times of refraining from embracing. Rejoice in times of gain and rejoice in times of loss. Rejoice in times of keeping and rejoice in times of throwing away. Rejoice in times of tearing and rejoice in times of sowing. Rejoice in times of silence and in times of speaking. Rejoice in times of love and rejoice in times of hate. Rejoice in times of war and rejoice in times of peace. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Kind of the the wisdom of of Solomon and Ecclesiastes defining the the, the seasons of life, good and bad. Uh, When we think of that command, rejoice in all of those seasons. Uh, Goodness, everything you go through in your life, Everything some of you have gone through even recently, and maybe ongoing even, that even tonight is a burden, a a weight upon your heart. The command of God for the child of God, for the believer, is to rejoice in the Lord even in the midst of it. Even through the sorrows of life. This chapter we're about to dive into was, was written to the Israelites, intended for the Israelites to read it and to obey it and to embrace it, uh, who were in bondage in Babylon. Uh, they had been taken captive, brought out of their homeland, Jerusalem, ransacked. Just for many of you know this, remind you, some of you may even be newer with us tonight. Uh, the latter portion of Isaiah is directed to the audience of of the captives that are going to be in Babylon after the Babylonian captivity. Uh, again, Jerusalem laid waste. Many, many people killed, and those that were uh, remained alive taken back as slaves, as captives into a foreign land. It was a, a time of great, great suffering. It was a time of, of great sorrow, as an Israelite would reflect back upon their rich heritage, their rich history, and yet know now that they were a conquered people, no longer living in the promised land. A time of great confusion. God delivered them so many times before. Why did God not deliver them now? Uh, Had God turned His back against them? Had God forsaken them? Uh, A time of great confusion. A time of great fear. Uh, What would the future hold? How long would they be slaves in the land of, of Babylon? In this chapter, it follows Isaiah 53, where God sets forth this prophecy about His suffering servant that would come and bear the iniquity of His people and redeem them through His suffering. And now in chapter 54, what we find is that God God is really setting forth for an Israelite and for us even as a New Testament believer the means by which we can take our hearts from a place of worry as we come to understand who God is and what He's accomplished and what He's going to accomplish. And we can go from a place of worry to a place of worship, even in the midst of 
our sorrow, even in the midst of our suffering, even in the midst of the anxieties and fears because of circumstances that may surround us. Let's read the chapter and then walk back through it this evening. Chapter 54, Isaiah, verse 1. Sing. Sing in the midst of your captivity, in the midst of your misery, in the midst of your uncertainty, in the midst of the fear and and, and anxiety that plagued Israel in that time. Sing, O barren, you who have not borne. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tents and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your Maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is His name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. For a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have I sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy, who has mercy on you. O you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted, behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems, And lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal, and all of your walls of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Indeed, they shall surely assemble, But not because of me, whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the spoiler to destroy you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment shall uh, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. To move from a place of worry to a place of worship. 
I heard it on the radio, Christian radio station, a number of months back, and it's something that stuck with me. The, the announcer on the radio, I forget who he was quoting, but he, he gave this quotation from some preacher, I believe it was, who says, you, you cannot worry and worship at the same time. Think about that for a moment, and there is a deep truth in that. You cannot worry and worship at the same time. You cannot, in your heart, be so plagued by the, the circumstances that aren't going like you think they ought to go, and so consumed by it that you're doubting God and His goodness and His presence and His sovereignty over you, and be worshiping Him at the same time. That if you can get your heart to a place of worship, your worry actually has to fade away and dissipate and disappear altogether because it's replaced by worship. It's been said that worry is doubting God's presence among you, and worship is entering into God's presence. That, that worry is actually worshiping the problem. I like that one. Worrying is actually worshiping the problem. It's, it's making the problem bigger than God is, and giving the problem more attention and more devotion in your heart and the sense of fear than you give in adoration to the Lord. Now, it's one thing to speak of moving from worry to worship, but it's another thing to be able to do that and accomplish it. Like, how do I get from a place of, of being so worried to a place of truly, rightly focusing and worshiping God? I know some people I've talked to, they can let worry and anxiety and fear get them in a very unhealthy place, get them to a place where depression can set in, get them to a place where they're even... They can't even do the daily task that God has put before them because they're so overwhelmed with anxiety and with fear, with worry about what might happen, with worry about how are things going to turn out, what are people thinking, what about this, what about that. And to get from that place of, of, of doubt and fear and confusion to a place of rightly focusing on the Lord, rightly worshiping Him and finding strength even in that relationship to carry to carry onward, to endure, to persevere. How does one accomplish such a thing? This chapter only has two verses that have commands in it. For the Israelites then, and by application, even for us tonight. One command is found in verse 1, and then there's a twofold command found in verse 4. Verse 1, it begins with this command, sing, and then verse 4, do not fear, neither be disgraced. So it's a twofold command in verse 4, one, one command in verse 1. I, I want to, I hope to convince you tonight that really if we can embrace those two simple verses, and really if you can apply those, these verses to your life, you, you, can, you can go from a place of being plagued by fear and doubt and concern and worry to a place of rightly focusing on God and even rightly worshiping the Lord. The first command is simply the command sing. I would say the uh, first point of these two commands I want to give to you tonight. First, sing a song unto the Lord. What do you do when doubts and fears plague your heart? What do you do when depression starts to set in and the woe is me attitude and life is unfair and nobody else knows the trials and burdens and struggles I'm going through? It's amazing the power of a song. Have you ever thought about singing before? It's interesting. The chapter begins in response to 
The last verse even, and he who bore the sins of many, he was numbered with the transgressors. He poured out his soul unto death as you, you kind of go up. Speaking of the, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, his intercessory work for us at the cross, where he died upon the cross for our sins, that when a believer comes to see that and believes upon it, becomes a child of God through it, that the response to the understanding of God's love poured out for us in Christ is to sing. Sing, you who are barren. You who are going through trial and suffering and difficulty in life. You who have no way out of your struggle or trial or difficulty in and of yourselves. When you understand who God is in light of what He's done for you, the response is, rightly in response to to sing. Have you ever thought about how strange singing is? Like, it's unique to humanity. You don't walk outside in your yard and find a little stadium of squirrels that have assembled, and one squirrel getting up in front of the group that then, you know, has a rubber band and starts picking his rubber band and then breaks out in a squirrel song and they all, you know, clap their hands and and it's comical to even think of such a thing and yet we as people do it all the time. Secular psychologists and all those that don't try to believe there isn't a God and explain things without the existence of God have tried to make sense of music and they struggle greatly to make sense of it. A guy named Steven Pinker is... uh, an evolutionary uh, psychologist, sociologist at Harvard, and he is, he's written much on language development, and, and his view of music is that it's merely a, 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 what's the exact, I could read the exact quotation here, but it's a useless evolutionary byproduct of another useful trait, and that is the use of language. So he just says it's really a, a useless sort of thing that developed along with the abilities that we have evolutionary, evolutionarily come to, that, that we now can communicate, and, and just a byproduct of that that serves no real purpose is singing. And yet any person that even from a secular viewpoint would examine the power and usefulness of music within humanity would, could easily defeat that argument that there's no purpose to it. There's something powerful in music. It's similar to speaking, but it's very different also. There's a greater attention that it demands. There's a greater emotion that is conveyed in singing. There's a greater beauty that is is not only seen, but also experienced in, in the song. There's something unique to it. The closest we might have to it is the song of a bird in creation, yet that, that bird's music does not compare to the voice of one communicating a message in song. I like what Keith Getty has written in one of his books on worship and on singing. He says, God designed our psyche for singing. When singing prays to God so much more than just the vocal boxes engaged, God has created our minds to judge pitch and lyric, to think through the concepts we sing, to engage the intellect, imagination, and memory, and to remember what is set to a tune, God has formed our hearts to be moved with a depth of feeling and a whole range of emotion as the melody carried truths of who God is and whose we are sink in. You think about the power 
of a song in general. And that's only possible in humanity because we're created in the image of God and God's given that capacity uh, to us uniquely as humanity, as human beings. And then you think of how unique the Christian faith is, that, that singing is all throughout the Bible. God commanding it, God singing even through nature and through creation, God singing even over us, and then we in response of coming to understand who He is, the, the response the Bible points us to and commands us to, to is, is singing. All of you can sing, myself included. Now, admittedly and honestly, some sing far better than others. Some sing a little more off-tune, but you know the beauty of it is not many who sing off-tune can hear their singing off-tune, right? I'm not saying Sunday morning we're going to line up and all of you are lined up to sing solos. No, myself included. No. Uh, but what I am saying is we think about the unique gift that singing is and we think about the power that singing holds from the heart of one who is singing and expressing these great truths that are recorded in great Christian songs, great doctrinally sound songs. There is a unique Ability and power, enabling power in a song. And in the singing of a song, to point one's attention away from the worship of a problem and towards the worship of God. And I, I have often interpreted these verses, generally speaking, to singing just being merely synonymous with rejoicing. That just means I need to rejoice in the Lord. But, but I really, as I've even counseled through situations with people, I often encourage you know, prayer and the reading of Scripture and, and different spiritual disciplines to, to help a person go from a place of worry and anxiety to a place of, 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 of worshiping and trusting God. But, but I've never really assigned it to a person. I want you, I have, I have, I have, I have said, I want you to listen to Christian music. I want you to listen to a Christian song. But I've never encouraged somebody, I want you to sing it. I want you to just listen to it. I actually want you to sing out to the Lord. You know, go into the car, turn your radio up, shut the doors, and, and sing a song to the Lord. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Because God's at work, and God's expanding Israel, He says. Even though you're in a place of great trial and great uh, uh, uncertainty and, and great even judgment right now, God says, no, there's coming a day of restoration, a day of redemption, a day where I will make of you what I promised you will become. And it will all happen because of the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Your descendants will inherit the nations like this thing I'm working through you is bigger than you would ever think or imagine, God is telling His people. There is singing. New Testament verses. Colossians 3.16 Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. There's something about singing. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That's what the world does in the midst of their trials and fears and burdens and sorrows. Drink it away. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. We often end the verse there. But it continues, addressing one another in uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. 
singing unto the Lord, there's something about singing a song to the Lord that can take you from a place of doom and gloom and despair to a place of understanding who God is, being reminded of His goodness and His grace and His mercy and His love and His sovereignty over you. And it can all happen simply through the singing of a song. And so I would encourage you, when worry and doubt and fear comes, remember Isaiah 54, verse 1, Sing, turn to the Lord in song. And even though that song may begin in sorrow and in despair, as you pour out your heart to the Lord in song, it's amazing what His Spirit will accomplish in your heart as you are moved from a place of worry to a place of worship. The second command, I'd sum this twofold command up with his second point. Rest your heart in the Lord. In the midst of all the fear and doubt and worry, to to rest, to come to a place where you you lie down and and put your head upon the pillow of of God, of of His Spirit, of His precious promises. Notice, we'll close in a moment. We'll, we'll walk through all of this, but but notice after verse four. He commands, you know, do not fear, don't be disgraced. And then notice at the end of verse 4, halfway through, he, he begins to give all the reasons why. 4. And then verse 5, for your Maker. Verse 6, for the Lord. Verse 7, 4. Verse 9, 4. Verse 10, 4. And then in verses 11 through the, the end, he, he is giving a, more, a, a greater reason, a picture of the restoration that is to come. The rest of the chapter is is God really giving to Israel the reasons why they shouldn't fear, even though they're in a place of difficulty, even though they're in a place where it seems as if God is not present. They're not to fear. Why? I'll sum them up for us without spending too much time walking through them. Why? Verse 4b, first of all, because their sufferings are temporary. For you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. When God gets done, the the glory that is to come will so outshine the sufferings that they're going through now. The the means and purposes of God that are going to be brought forth in the end will, will make them forget even this momentary suffering that they're going through. Verse 5. Why do I not fear? Why do I endure and keep faith in God in the midst of suffering? How do I get from worry to worship? For your Maker is a husband. The Lord of hosts is your husband. The Lord of hosts is His name. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called He is called the God of the whole earth. He reminds them that, that God is with them. That God has not left them. That God, he says to Israel, is their, their husband. They were the bride of God in a sense. Just as the, the picture of, of uh, um, Homer and... Um, goodness, my mind is going... Amos, not Amos. Amos is a farmer. Who am I thinking of? Hosea. You know, the picture of God's love for His people. Um, the picture of... Even in the New Testament, for us as believers, we are the bride of Christ. There's a unique relationship that God has given to us as His people, and He being the the husband over us, the one who is there to guide and lead and protect us, 
And as we think of Him even, we could draw an application here to the term our Heavenly Father. And we as the children of God, he, he is one who will never leave nor forsake us. He's with us, and He is the Lord of hosts. He, he is our Redeemer. He is the Holy One of Israel. He, he is actually, reminder, remember, He is actually called the God of the whole earth. You sing that song, He's got the whole world in His hands. And it's a picture here of if God's got the big thing in His hand, He's got you in His hand. He can make the world spin around and do all that He's done, sustaining every molecule of creation. He's with you in the midst of your suffering and in the midst of all that your little life entails. If God can do the big, He can do the small. And He's active in the the large picture. He's active in, in the small picture of your life. He's the God of all the earth who is with you. Verse 6, God has called you. For the Lord has called you out of a place of weakness and unworthiness for Israel. The same is true of us. God's called you as a believer. You're a child of God. He's brought to you the gospel. He saved you. If He saved you, He's not going to leave you. If He's called you, He's not going to call you simply to deny and forsake you. He carries us through. Verse 7 and 8, the sufferings again, he says, are but for a moment. But God's loving kindness will be forever. For Israel, he says, for a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. If you've been with us, you know what he's talking about here. God, for a moment, has brought judgment upon his people because of their waywardness, because of their rebellion, because of their sin. They're going through this hardship in order that God is going to draw them anew unto himself, lead them of his loving kindness, even poured out in judgment upon them. He's leading them to repentance. He's leading them to restoration. And he says, it's going to end with my everlasting kindness. I will have mercy on you, even though you don't deserve it. And in verses 9 and 10, he speaks of his enduring promises that he will perform. Just as he, with the waters of Noah, said he's no longer going to destroy the world by a flood again, he says, I've sworn also to you that I won't be angry with you nor rebuke you. I'm actually doing all of this for your good. My kindness shall not depart from you, he concludes, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed. The enduring faithfulness of the the covenant love of God, of the promises of God for Israel, by application for you and for me this evening. And in verses 11 through 17, he paints a picture of a future work of the judgment of the rest of the world and the, the restoration even of Israel. We won't dive into all of that tonight, but all of those jewels and everything he speaks of deals with the future blessing of Israel. I believe most of this will be performed even within a millennial kingdom that is to come after the rapture. But God will judge, and no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You've heard that in a contemporary Christian song. Where does it come from? It comes from Isaiah 54. Verse 17, that that there's nothing this world can do to stop the the love of God, the sovereign purposes of God carried forth through His church, through His people, through Israel. God will accomplish His purposes. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. All of that flowing from the command, do not fear, neither be disgraced. Rest your heart in the Lord, in who He is, in His promises, in His faithfulness, in His 
kindness and in His promises of rest, restoration and redemption that is to come. And so we'll close with a New Testament verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16-18, through 18, that in a way parallel this passage. Paul writing again, and he says, Therefore we do not lose heart. He's speaking of all the trials that they've gone through for the sake of, really for the sake of one another, for the sake of the church. And he's concluding this, this portion of his writing, and he says, We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, though outwardly it may look like everything's falling apart around us, in his day and age, persecution arising. In his day and age, the church of Corinth itself being in a complete mess and disaster. And believers that should be behaving differently were behaving poorly and sinfully. And yet in the midst of that, he says, we're, we're wasting away outwardly. Yet inwardly, we were, we were being renewed day by day for our light, momentary trouble are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our light momentary afflictions, troubles, trials. How can they be light? Well, simply because they're of this life. And they're momentary. And they don't compare to the glory that is being accomplished through them that awaits us. What happens, verse 18, so we fix our eyes Not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. How do you move your heart from a place of worry to a place of worship? Sing a song to the Lord. And then rest your heart in the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come to You and I pray for any who may be here tonight who has entered this place worried confused, fearful, anxieties plaguing your heart. That as we've turned our attention to your word and to who you are this evening, that they, I pray, have found comfort and strength. Lord, I pray that your word would just uh, bring that comfort and strength to their heart. Give them an endurance to persevere. And that, Lord, even they would take these verses and think that even as they will undoubtedly wake up tomorrow and be faced with the same fears and worries and anxieties that they would sing a song to You. That they would simply rest in who You are. Trust in Your promises and Your loving kindness and Your faithfulness and Your presence in their life and Your purpose that You're accomplishing through even their suffering. So Lord, work, I pray, for any who are um, struggling this evening. Comfort their heart. Lord, for any who are here who don't know You as Lord and Savior, I pray especially for them that they may even now in this invitation uh, simply surrender, turn to You, confess and believe upon Christ as Lord and as Savior. We ask all of this in His precious holy name.